to uh, YouTube and just look up the uh, key words there, uh, which would be Jonathan Kahn, the uh, author, and then Return of the Gods, and then James Dobson. See, before I borrowed that, I had already had enough material because after uh, Pastor Sandra had told me about it, I said, well, I've got to be able to find something on it in uh, uh, the Internet. And I found out that he had had an interview with Dr. James Dobson on James Dobson's radio program. It used to be called uh, Focus on the Family. I'm not quite sure what it's called yet uh, now. But anyway, uh, he interviewed... Uh, James, Jonathan Kahn on two different sessions and the uh, results of that interview are, is out there on YouTube if you want to uh, look at it and listen to it. Now this mess, uh, series really builds on the special message that I gave almost three months ago. You remember just before the midterm elections I gave you that long message in fact, that was the longest message by far that I have preached here. I went on for an hour and a half. And don't worry, I'm not going for an hour and a half this time. You know, so don't, don't be shaking in your boots. But uh, uh, one of the things that I stated in that message is that the far left now, the radical elements, especially of the Democratic Party, and all kinds of other groups, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and so on and so forth, is they are worshiping a new religion now. And I told you, for want of a better word, I, I call it wokeism. That is, you know, uh, uh, you know, we, we've woke up now. We didn't. We were asleep before, but we've woke up now. Now we know that men can get pregnant. <laughs> How do you think think of that one there? Uh, and I mentioned that this uh, wokeism religion is a polytheistic religion. What is a polytheistic? Polytheistic means many gods. That is that they, they worship many gods. And some of the gods in what we would call their pantheon are these. Indoctrination. I mentioned this uh, two and a half months ago, if you go back and uh, hear that. Indoctrination of our children. They're brainwashing our children. This is exactly what's happening in our schools right now. They're brainwashing them with socialism and communism. That is, the state has become God to them. They also believe in equity, not equality, equity. Equity says that we're all supposed to wind up at the same place. Well, guess what? We don't all wind up at the same place. And to do this, they're going to, they have to pull a few strings and give some people that they call disadvantaged a head start. Well, the thing that people really need to get at the, uh, arrive at the same destination is they need to have drive. They need to have ambition. But if you fill people's minds with full of things like, oh, well, you're downtrodden because you're disadvantaged, you know, uh, you know this is the uh, corollary of that. Uh, they call it the uh, critical race theory. You divide up people according to uh, oppressors and oppressed. Since I'm a white man, I'm an oppressor. You didn't know that I was an oppressor? You didn't know that? Why'd you guys ever make me a uh, pastor here? I'm such an oppressor. Do I look like an oppressor? Okay. 
Okay, but this is what they're saying. And uh, they say, you know, especially with the black people, they say, well, this is all a result of the uh, uh, fact that you were brought over here and your ancestors were slaves. And so, you know, and unfortunately, this is true, that the people, African-Americans, have this slavery mentality. And they carry that. And instead of really trying to excel, that's what's really going to help people exceed. Uh, or exceed, succeed. What helps people to succeed is to go on ahead and have the drive and ambition to get the necessary e education to achieve their goals. And this is the American dream. It's available to everyone. You know, if it was true, you know, that uh, uh, black people were uh, disadvantaged and therefore they could never succeed. What happened with Barack Obama? How did he get to be president? He became president because he went out and he got the education that he needed. And one of the things I really admire about uh, uh, the Native Americans here is especially the younger generation, they went out and they got the education and now they're succeeding. Amen? If you've got the drive and ambition, you can achieve whatever you want. And that's so this whole thing, this whole critical race theory is a big lie. Another thing, things other that I mentioned, the climate change. And this is manifesting itself in the Green New Deal. And they want to push electric cars on us. Who makes the batteries for the electric cars? China, right? And China is out there in Africa right now employing slave labor. You know, we make such a big deal about the slave labor uh, that was in this country uh, 150, 200 years ago. Slavery is going on right now in black Africa. And it's children that are laboring in these cobalt mines to mine the minerals that they use to make those batteries. And they make all of the solar panels too. Everything the current administration has done has strengthened the Chinese Communist Party. And it's weakened America. And so, you know, but the politicians that are pushing this Green New Deal, you know what? They've got a lot of money invested in China, so they're making money. You know, I'll get into that a little bit more later on, the materialism. Okay, so uh, other things. Yeah, the foreign policy with the, our enemies, China, uh, Iran, and North Korea. Another one is abortion. They bow down to the altar of abortion. LBGTQ. I won't go through what those initials, but it basically it's the gay and deviant sex agenda. And the corollary to that is the, now the radical gender ideology. They're telling our kids, are you sure you're a girl? Are you sure that you're a boy? You know. Open borders. Open borders have led to the flood of fentanyl. And so many Americans, over 100,000 a year, are dying largely from fentanyl overdoses. They suppress U.S. history. They distort it. 
And again, you know, I've told you before, the U.S. was not perfect. They did a lot of things that were wrong throughout our history. But we're supposed to be learning from our mistakes so that we won't make them again. And this, this stuff of racism, exactly what they're doing is they're making the mistake of pushing racism again. Instead, this is directed to uh, white people. And of course, we got cancel culture. You know, you dare speak out, you know, you're going to get canceled and defund the police. Now, today's message is part one of the series, Return of the Gods. And I've entitled it The Balim. Now, what do I mean by Balim? Uh, most people here, if you've read through the, New, the Old Testament, you can't read the Old Testament without bumping into this uh, god named Baal. You run into it. Now, the I am suffix at the end, Balim, the I am suffix there denotes a plural noun in the Hebrew language. So like if you see Elohim, you have the I am there, that denotes that it's plural. And that is a reflection of the Trinity, right? We believe in three persons in one God. It's denoting a plurality there. So Balim denotes the gods of the Canaanite religion. Baal is merely the chief god in this pantheon of uh, uh, Balim. There's many others. And Khan, in his book, mostly deals with just three. He deals with Baal, which we're going to cover today and tomorrow. Uh, not tomorrow, next week. Today and, uh, well, you can come out here tomorrow if you want. Now, uh, <clears throat> today and next week, we're going to cover Baal. But there's other two that he also covers, and the second one is Ashtoreth, who was the goddess of sex and war, uh, violence. And then finally, Moloch, who was the god of child sacrifice. We're going to see how these gods are now worshipped today. We don't call them by those names, but they, the spirit, there's a spirit behind these gods. That's what I'm trying to get across to you, brothers and sisters. There's a spirit behind those gods, and that spirit is trying to take rulership here in America. That's why America has gotten so mixed up, the, you know, really you know, even before the turn of the century, but especially since the turn of the century. Okay. Now, two primary things. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, 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 the way that you, it's spelled B-A-A-L. Usually we pronounce it Baal in English. But the Hebrews, uh, when they pronounce it, they, they split it up into two Syllables, they call it Baal. So I'm not going to say Baal. I've, I prefer just the English pronunciation. And there's two things, two primary things we need to know about Baal. First of all, to worship him meant the eventual suppression of the God of Israel way back in Israel's time. If you study Old Testament uh, history, you know, the Worship of Yahweh, or as we say in English, Jehovah, was suppressed. 
And by the way, uh, you you read about uh, Baal worship even back before the time of uh, uh, King Ahab and uh, Jezebel. That's when Baal worship kind of reached its zenith because they Jezebel in particular just pushed the worship of this god Baal upon Israel. But you read about it, uh, worship of Baal even before. And God brought judgment back during the uh, era of the judges. If you read Judges chapter 6, you've got kind of a, uh, an interesting story of Gideon. And Baal was being worshipped there, and so God was bringing judgment. They were being oppressed. Uh, the children of Israel were being oppressed by uh, the Midianites. And so God called Gideon to be the deliverer. And uh, right after he got called, the first thing he did is he went down and he cut down all of these idols of Baal. He did it at night because he was afraid that somebody would stop him. So everybody woke up the next morning and all these idols of Baal have been cut down. And he said, who did this? Oh, it was Gideon. And so they said, okay, haul Gideon out here. Let's get rid of him. They're going to kill him because he dared to cut down these idols of Baal. But then Gideon's father stood up and said, Hey, listen, fellows, you know, use your head. He said, if, God, if Baal is such an all-powerful God, how was it that he didn't stop Gideon himself? And then, of course, Gideon uh, went on and delivered the uh, children of Israel from the Midianites. Okay, now, Baal worship in Israel kind of reached its zenith under wicked king Ahab and Queen Jezebel. You know, this was kind of, you know, uh, uh, they were the, the, some of the e- most evil uh, uh, kings in Israel's history. But Ahab's biggest sin was the fact that he married Jezebel, who came from the nation, nearby nation of Sidon. And she was a fanatical Baal worshiper. And she instituted Baal, worship of Baal as the state religion. And she tried to kill everyone that opposed her, especially the people that worship Yahweh or Jehovah. And you read about that in 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, verse 13, how she killed all of the prophets of Baal that she could get her hands on. Uh, so, some more things about Baal. Not only was suppression of the God of Israel, and also what's happening today, you know, the, uh, uh, the God that we worship, uh, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, they're trying to suppress us too. Real persecution is beginning to start here in America. If you are a Christian, they are going to try to persecute you. And it only promises to get worse. So, suppression of the God of uh, Israel and the God that we worship, the Lord Jesus Christ, was true. But also, Baal, back in ancient Israel, was considered the God of the natural world. That is, he was the god of the sky, he was the god of the earth, and he, most importantly, was the god of the weather. So therefore, he was the one who sent the rains, which watered the crops and made the land prosperous, in their way of thinking anyway.
And you know what? Baal was judged through the prophet Elijah on two separate occasions. Now this was nothing new for God to judge the gods of the lands. That's what the uh, uh, twelve pla- uh, or ten plagues of Israel, or uh, I'm sorry, Egypt was all the ten plagues of Egypt was all about. Okay, you know you had things like the Nile uh, being turned to blood. You know why? Because the Egyptians worshipped the Nile, the Nile River, as God. And there's all kinds of other, every single one of those, the frogs and uh, the locusts and things like that, those were worshipped by the Egyptians as gods. So God brought judgment on the uh, nation of Egypt for their gods. And he does the same thing now with Elijah. What does Elijah do? Verse 1 of uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 17. By the way, uh, if you want, you can do a little homework. Go, go home and read 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 and find out what uh, Elijah did about this god Baal. Okay, verse 1 of uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. I, I can promise you, you read these stories, you will not be bored. I mean, it's just fascinating, uh, the stories there. Verse 1 of First uh, Kings chapter 17. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, this is wicked King Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, who before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Oh, I thought that uh, Baal was the god of rain. So you see, God was bringing judgment upon Baal. And it happened, just like Elijah said. For three and a half years, there was no rain in Israel. And can you imagine all the uh, prophets of Baal and all the people that worship him? Oh, Baal, send rain, send rain. No rain. Why? Because Baal was a false god. Baal didn't control the rain. God controlled the rain. And you see how God brought judgment down upon Baal. Later on, Elijah's big test. You know, after not raining for three and a half years, you know, Ahab sees uh, uh, Elijah. You are the one who troubles Israel. And, you know... uh, uh, Elijah counters, no, you're the one that troubled Israel because you brought Baal worship into here. You permitted your wife to uh, suppress and kill the prophets of God. You're the one who uh, troubled Israel. He says, okay, we're going to make this test. We're going to go out. I'm going to go out to Mount Carmel here. And we're going to put two different altars there. One to Jehovah, whom I worship, and one to Baal. And bring all the prophets of Baal. So 450 uh, prophets of Baal show up, along with another 400 uh, prophets of Ashtoreth, that sex and war goddess that I was talking about, which we'll go about, talk about in a couple of weeks. Okay, so it's 850 against one. And he says, uh, uh, Elijah says, 
Well, you know, uh, what we'll do is we'll each call down our gods. You guys go first. You, 850. And so they're dancing around Baal's altar. Oh, God, Baal, send rain. Uh, I'm sorry, send fire. You know, uh, they put the sacrifice on there. And the, the uh, Elijah's challenge, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And so the prophets of Baal, and they're cutting themselves. You know, that was their uh, custom and everything. And, oh, Baal, send the fire. You know, and think about that, too. Baal's the god of the natural world, right? So he's the god of fire. So if Baal was real, he should have been the one to send the fire down. And they went on, on into the after, early afternoon, and, you know, I like Elijah's. He says, well, you know, uh, you know your, your God seems to be out there on a long journey or maybe he's sleeping or maybe he's sitting on the toilet. You know, that's literally what the Hebrew says there. Maybe he's sitting on the toilet and that's why he can't answer by fire. And nothing happened. So in the early afternoon, Elijah says, okay. Let's do it. Uh, we're going to do, I'm going to call on Jehovah to send the fire. And I'm, before we do it, I'm going to do it a special way. We're going to dump water all over the sacrifice. And, you know, they dug a trough around there. They put so much water, they must have got it from the nearby sea. Uh, if you're wondering about that, since there was no water in the land, uh, they, uh, uh, they put all this water all over the uh, sacrifice. And then Elijah just prayed to uh, Jehovah God, and it happened. Jehovah sent the fire down, and it licked up all the water and burnt that sacrifice to a crisp. And so the people all that were standing around said, The Lord, Jehovah, He is God. Jehovah, He is God. And the people knew that the Baal was a false god because of that. Okay, now, some other uh, things about Baal is he was also worshipped in other cultures uh, uh, around the ancient world, but under different names. He was worshipped under a different name in Egypt and Assyria. He was called Bel in uh, Babylonia, and later he morphed into Zeus of the Greeks and Jupiter for the Romans. You've heard of Jupiter, haven't you? The planet, it's named after that Roman god who is in actuality uh, Baal himself, just under a different name. Now, Baal was uh, uh, worshipped through idols. And these idols often had the head of a bull. You know, when I talk about bull heads, I'm not talking about what we got out in the, the yard here, or, uh, Susie's. Uh, steers, you know, what she has on her steers. Uh, I'm talking about the bull's head that's on these idols. In fact, I uh, yesterday I went out and looked for pictures of Baal as an idol, and half of them had a bull's head. Okay? Uh, the significance of that to American culture I'm going to talk about next week. But worship of the bull was common throughout the ancient world. Uh, he was... Uh, uh, especially worshipped in a civilization called the Manoa civilization on the Isle of Crete. And then the Manoan civilization, a lot of good that did them. It got wiped out 
because offshore, about 100 miles offshore from the Isle of Crete, where the Minoans were, uh, there was the volcano <coughs> Santorini, and it blew its top, and it sent out a tsunami, and it just wiped out the Minoan uh, uh, civilization. A lot of good, uh, the worship of the bull did them. The children of Israel, what happened with the children of Israel? Okay, remember when Moses went up to uh, uh, Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments? What happened while he was up there? They said, well, we don't know what's happened to this Moses. He's been up there 40 days and 40 nights. He can't be alive anymore. He must have died up there. So let's uh, uh, worship uh, God uh, and they, what do they make? What did they make? They made a golden calf, right? Yeah, it was a bull calf. Once again, worshiping the bull. Then later on, after the death of Solomon, after uh, uh, the northern ten tribes had split off from Judah, the southern tribes, the king there named Jeroboam, he became the prototype, as I mentioned in our uh, series on kings, he became the prototype of the evil that the kings of the northern ten tribes had. Ever, all over the said, the, you know, so-and-so became king and he uh, did evil in the sight of the Lord and he did not depart from Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Well, how he made it, them to sin is he was afraid that the, his uh, northern ten tribes would go to Jerusalem and decide that they wanted to, you know, uh, continue to return to Judah. So what he did is he made two golden calves. He put one in the southern end of his kingdom, the other in the northern end. And he said, you, you don't have to go up to Jerusalem to worship. You, you can worship right here at my shrines, depending on where you are. And so he became the prototype of uh, uh, kings that uh, were departed from the worship of Jehovah. Okay, so the gods of the Greek and Roman world also were often those of bulls. Now you read an interesting story in uh, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are the uh, letters to the churches. And there's one, there's one city that Jesus instructed John to write to, and that was the... Uh, church at Pergamos or Pergamon. He told them and uh, he, Jesus said to them, I know that you dwell where Satan's throne is and you hold fast to my name. And you have not denied my faith even in the days of Antipas was, who was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. You see, Pergamum, they had a special altar to Zeus, or Jupiter, you know, which, as I mentioned before, was the same as Baal. And they had this idol that was uh, made out of bronze, a brass bull, and it was big enough that you could fit somebody inside. So this man, Antipas, follower of Jesus Christ, and they tried to make him sacrifice to Caesar. You see, connecting with that Baal worship is the worship of the state too. 
And they said, you've got to burn incense and proclaim that Caesar is Lord. But he says, I can't do that because Jesus is Lord. Can he say amen to that? Jesus is Lord. And so in exasperation, the official goes up to him and says, Antipas, the whole world is against you. And you know what he said without batting an eye? He said, then Antipas is against the whole world. So they took him, and you know what they did? They put him inside that hollow idol of a bull, and they set a fire underneath him, it, and they roasted Antipas to death. Just like in the book of Revelation, they loved not their lives even unto death. That's what Antipas uh, did. So the point is, they've got the altar there to this God, Baal, in the new incarnation, Zeus or uh, Jupiter. And they also had the idol of the brass bull. Now what's behind these idols? Brothers and sisters, I really want you to think about this. An idol is not just uh, something there. It, it's made out of gold or silver or brass or uh, stone or wood. But there's more to it behind that. The Apostle Paul wrote here in Acts chapter 17, verse 29, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we not, ought not to think that the divine nature is not like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. And then as I read uh, Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they enter, mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. How are they like them? Well, if you worship these idols, you become the same way. Spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, spiritually dumb. And you cannot accomplish anything for God. So is everyone who trusts in them. So man, in effect, is worshiping the work of his hands. That's what the, uh, the Apostle Paul said, men's devisings. And the psalmist wrote, the work of man's hands. So man, in effect, is worshiping the work of his hands. Now, if you read in the, the book of Isaiah, there's, got, there's really humorous kind of satire that uh, Isaiah writes about. And he talks about uh, a man who goes out and he gets his hunk of wood. And he takes his chisel and fashions a nidle. And then he takes the shavings, builds a fire with it. And then he bows down to the idol he's made. Oh, you are my God. <laughs> and Isaiah says, come on, guys. That same hunk of wood that you just made a fire by, you're bowing down as your God now. Use your head. Or do like my mother used to tell us when we were kids. She said, use your head for something else besides a hat rack. 
She wanted us to think, think, you know, in your head. How can you bow down to this idol as a god when you just made your fire by the leftovers? God has a sense of humor. What is behind the idols? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, he says, Wherefore, my beloved, flee, flee from idolatry. What am I saying there? Verse 19, that an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything, rather that the things the Gentiles sacrifice to, they sacrifice to what? To demons. There are demonic spirits behind these idols and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. So not only is man worshiping the work of his hands with these idols, he's also, as we saw in Acts and Psalms, but, and by extension, he's worshiping himself too. Not just the idols. By extension, he's working, worshiping himself. He's also worshiping the spirit behind the idol, which Paul points out here is really a demonic spirit. Okay. Western civilization. Let's go up to what has happened. Into the Greco-Roman world of this idolatry, this worship of the spirits behind the idols, the gospel of Jesus Christ came. And within three centuries, it had largely exercised Baal and his pantheon with all their ungodly practices. The Christian culture replaced Baal worship and the other gods the pagan religions. And this led Western civilization to largely ascribe to the Judeo-Christian ethic and worldview. This led eventually to what was called the Enlightenment during the 18th century, with its emphasis on the value of the individual and liberty. And that formed the foundation of the United States, the foundation of thought here in the United States of America. That's why we were founded on freedom and the value of the individual. And things were far from perfect in this Western civilization. You know, of course, we had slavery that we didn't get rid of until uh, the 19th century. We had the Crusades. We had the Inquisition. The Inquisition said that if you don't believe in the Catholic faith, if you're a Protestant, we're going to burn you at the stake. And they did that. And they forced conversion on the Jews a lot too. And that was not of God. God never forces you to become a Christian. Amen? Jesus said, whosoever will may come. He didn't say, I'm going to make you be my follower. He said, it's up to you to choose me if you want. And of course, we had the colonialism, the exploitation of not only the new world here, but also Africa and uh, uh, various nations in the Far East, like India and China and Indonesia. Colonialism was spawned by selfish 
exploitation. People sought to become rich because they still had that carnal Adamic nature. But the main thing was that Baal that I'm trying to make is that Baal and his pantheon and godless uh, gods and goddesses, along with the worship of them, had been largely expelled from the people's psyche, you know, their way of thinking. And over the most of the rest of the next two millennium, this Judeo-Christian value system would continue to grow and it would become more refined. And that's how come we got rid of these uh, other things, the ungodly elements of our culture such as slavery. Gospel was spread and uh, slavery and racism were abolished. And then came the last two centuries. What's happened the last two centuries? Well, trouble began in the 19th century, the 1800s. It's kind of ironically, at the same time when Western civilization was becoming more refined, we were getting rid of racism and slavery, Satan began working in a different way. And he began this by giving a new method of looking at scripture. It's called higher criticism. Things like the authorship of Moses was uh, uh, questioned. Uh, also, it was asserted that uh, you see the book of Isaiah in here. They were saying that there weren't, wasn't just one Isaiah that wrote the book. It was three Isaiahs. And then they came to the book of Daniel. And Daniel has some really exact prophecies in there concerning the rise of the empire, such as uh, Alexander the Great. And then later on, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes who put a pig, when he conquered the Holy Land, he had a pig sacrificed in the Holy Altar in the temple. Okay, these are mentioned in the book of Daniel. They said, well, Daniel couldn't have written that if he was uh, living in the 5th uh, uh, century B.C. like he was supposed to be living. He said it must have been uh, that... Uh, 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 it, Daniel was written uh, much later. And you know what they were trying to do? They were getting people to question, question the writing of the Bible. Philosophers like David Hume came along and said, well, you know, he defined miracles. He said, those miracles that you read about in the uh, New Testament, those couldn't have happened. Because we just live in the natural world. Those miracles can't happen. He defined them out of existence. And in the process, they were destroying the faith of a great many people. And so the very first temptation that man had was repeated. How I many you know what the very first temptation was? Well, it wasn't to partake of the forbidden fruit. What were the first words out of Satan's mouth? You read this in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Has God said that? Did he really say that? So the first temptation the serpent gave was to question the word of God. And people have really 
really begun questioning it here in the modern era. So the result of that is many, uh, uh, the faith of many was undermined and destroyed by questioning the word of God. And God was now being the one that was expelled out of Western civilization. Then other ideas became, began to flood in. There's that expression, nature abhors a vacuum. You get rid of God then other things are going to rush in to replace it. You had, the first of all, the French Revolution around the turn of the 18th century, the, actually the 19th century, and it was madness. You know what the French did? They did stuff like they got rid of uh, a seven-day week. They said, well, we're not going to have a seven-day week anymore. We're going to replace it with a 10-day week. That's an absolute, uh, you know, uh, Affront to God. And God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So they said, okay, we're not going to have a seven-day week. We're going to have a ten-day week. You know what happened? Everything fell apart. And they had to go back to the uh, uh, seven-day week. Later on, Karl Marx in the 19th century, middle of the 19th century, he wrote, writes his book called Communist Manifesto. And then finally, that was put into practice with Lenin and Stalin in Russia in the early part of the 20th century. Another guy comes, pops up. Name is Adolf Hitler. He writes his book, Mein Kampf. And then he takes over. And he tried to conquer the world. He said, my, you know, <clears throat> my state, Nazism, is going to run, uh, you know, supreme throughout the earth. And what happened with these three men, Lenin, Stalin, and Adolf Hitler? A hundred million people were killed last century. Because of these beliefs. You get rid of God. You put in the godless there. And Hitler was a godless man. He, he wanted to get rid of Christianity. He wanted to replace it with the Germanic gods. Who are just, again, more reincarnations of Baal and his pantheon. A hundred million people died in concentration camps and wars last century. And it's going to get worse this century. We're only at the beginning. You know, we don't know what's going to happen, brothers and sisters, but these are just really perilous times that we're living in. Okay, what about America? America has been the strongest country traditionally in the worship of God. Through the revival, and this is done through the revivals experienced in its history, it was founded on scriptural principles. And these are reflected in his foundational documents. The Declaration of Independence, which declared that all men are created equal. That's based on Genesis 1.27, that we were made in the image of God. Every single person here was made in the image of God. And therefore, we are equal in God's sight. The Constitution, and later on, the Bill of Rights. And 
These days they're trying to do away with the Bill of Rights, the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the freedom to assemble, the right to bear arms, to defend yourself, the right to resist unlawful seizure, and most important of all, freedom of religion. Freedom of religion is getting suppressed, brothers and sisters, and you better be ready for it. You see, in America, we had all those freedoms, but then starting in 1962, those freedoms began to become eroded. There's this very wicked people, kind of a modern-day Jezebel. Her name was Madeline Murray O'Hare. And she said, I don't like my kids having be, being taught to, uh, about uh, the God of the Bible, reading the Bible, and praying to this God. And so she took it to the courts. It went all the way up to the uh, Supreme Court. And in 1962, they agreed with Madeline Murray O'Hare. And God was removed from our public schools. So later on, 1980, Supreme Court ruled you can't even post the Ten Commandments in your schools. And so they got rid of God and they got rid of His law too. And then we wonder why things are just falling apart here in America. It wasn't just the worship of God that was forced out, but adherence to His law as well. And the result of that is our children are no longer exposed to God and the Judeo-Christian ethic in school. And now this is permeated through the entire uh, American educational system, especially the colleges and universities of today. They were interviewing, uh, I was watching uh, Fox News last night, and they were interviewing this uh, lady that uh, fled North Korea. She goes to Columbia University, one of the most prestigious universities here in America. And she said, those people are teaching the same thing in that university that we were taught in North Korea. And North Korea, brothers and sisters, is the most repressive regime imaginable. I remember Jimmy Swagger once said that, uh, uh, you know, much Bible, much freedom. Little Bible, little freedom. No Bible, no freedom. You take God and the Bible out of the educational system and all you are left with is no freedom. Instead, you have bondage. And you've got people that want to overthrow the United States system. This is the big danger. Okay, I, I've got to run along. I know I'm running out of time here. Sorry about taking long. Okay. Khan quotes Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 through 45. When an unclean spirit goes out of men, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty. The spirit of Baal, because we've gotten rid of God in our schools and all the rest of uh, elements of our society. The spirit of Baal finds it empty here in America. 
swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. They enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. Now, this is going to form the foundational premise that Khan has when he writes this book. Is that the spirit of Baal is trying to come into America because we have gotten rid of God. Now, one might think that this parable refers to a person that's had a spirit exercised from him. You know, and that's also undoubtedly an application for it. But Khan says it can be applied to cultures and civilizations as well. And I'm going to get into this a lot more next week. But for now, I want to make this personal to you. I didn't come up here to just tell you about all these gods and goddesses from these long dead civilization literally thousands of years ago. What does it mean to you? Well, it means that by forcing God out of our Western culture, we have created, in effect, as Khan says, you know, a vacuum. But it's also what's true of a culture is also true of an individual as well. If we force God out of our lives individually. Now you say, how do I force God out of my life individually? You do it when you pursue sin in your life. You've got to keep your vessel clean. You get rid of those false gods in your life. You've got to fill it up with Jesus. Because if you don't fill it up with Jesus, you're going to give yourself into bondage with sin. Now the result of forcing God out on our individual lives are fourfold. I just wrote down three, four things that I thought of just right off the top of my head when I was preparing this. There is a sense of aimlessness and lack of purpose in people's lives. You know, Jesus is the one who gives meaning and purpose to your life. And that's why, especially among young people today, there's a lack of purpose. And the suicide rate among young people in this nation is skyrocketing. It's going up. And it was, a lot of it was fed, too, by the COVID epidemic. They said, you guys can't attend school. A lot of people, boys especially, you know, they love to play sports. And they said, well, okay, you can't play sports. Instead, you've got to sit at home, get involved in social media. And the president of the National Education Association, NEA, a woman by the name of Randy Weingarten, there's another Jezebel too. She's the one that really pushed, pushed this school lockdown. And as a result, so many young people, they weren't mixing with their own getting their friends. They just stayed at home. Supposedly did their education. That just ruined uh, the United States. 
And I, I don't know if we're ever going to get cut, caught up. And it helped uh, China too. Again, I mentioned China. Helped out China. Because our students were not learning the technical things. And they had this feeling of aimlessness. And many of them, a number of them, have committed suicide. So you remove God wholehearted and go wholeheartedly toward the belief that everything just happened by chance. Replace it with evolution. You're just an accident. You're a quirk of nature. You can't find meaning and purpose in an accident. Right? Because... The two terms are mutually exclusive. You can't have one and have the other. You can't find meaning for your life if you believe that you are an accident. Number two is your life ceases to have value in your own eyes. Brothers and sisters, we cease to realize that there is a God in heaven. You get rid of God... You remove his love for you, right? So some impersonal force out there. That impersonal force doesn't have love for you. That's the first spiritual law. God loves you. We're going to get into that in a couple of weeks, you know, when I talk about the, the fruitful soil, you know, for our next communion service. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And this becomes a primary source of depression. We begin to take the attitude, nobody loves me. Most of you are related here. You know, you've got a large extended family and I really envy you because of that. And you can look to your friends, but there's, there's a lot of people that don't have that. And so if they, you know, feel isolated, Especially those kids in school. Nobody loves me. And they lose the love of God when they expel him. You begin to take that attitude, nobody loves me. And that's a lie that's spawned by the very, from the very pits of hell. And that's what uh, drives so many people to despair and suicide. Okay, I'm almost finished here. I'm way behind. I'm sorry. <laughs> I get to preaching like this. Okay. Number three. When you remove God from your life, you also remove your accountability to Him. And that's what really many, many of these people that are driving this leftist agenda are doing is they don't want to be accountable to God. And that opens up the floodgates of sin to, in your life and also the uh, corporate America here. Anything goes. These people want to be comfortable in doing their sin. Things like homosexuality. You know, homosexuality was largely kept under wraps because of the social stigma that is, was attached to it. But now we've removed that. We've permitted gay marriage. And we're permitting all these other 
ungodly sexual practices going on. And this is what the people wanted. I want to do my sin and I don't want anybody who's going to tell me that I'm accountable to God. But guess what, brothers and sisters? You are accountable. Everybody say that. I am accountable to God. Every one of you is going to stand before God someday and give an account of your life. That's, it gives us the incentive that we need to live holy lives, free from sin. Jesus said that every idle word that men utter, they will give an account for on the day of judgment. And if he's going to hold us accountable for just our words, what about the other things that we do? God sees everything that we do. Remember? He's omnipresent. He, he's here everywhere. Removing God removes His standard of living. His law. And not just the Ten Commandments. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Starting with the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, 6, six and 7. That's the way that God wants us to live our lives. Now, the spirit of Baal that's pervading our society doesn't care if you sin. In fact, the spirit that's behind it wants you to sin all the more. Because the more that you sin, the more that you partake in Satan's rebellion against God. And if you sin against God willfully, you in effect shove God out of your life. Saying, God, I don't care what you want. I want to live my life the way I want to live. And fourth and finally, if you remove God, you become a God to yourself. You become your own God. And that was the second temptation of Satan, right? He said, the day that you partake of that forbidden fruit, you will become as gods, knowing good and evil. You become your own god. In Genesis, uh, uh, this is my last thought here. Okay, Genesis 127 tells us that God made us in his own image. Right? You're a human being. You were made in the image of God. And God wants you to live like he does. A holy life. But man in his sin and rebellion seeks to turn that around. You know what he does? He says, I'm going to make God in my image. Because I'm going to be God. I'm going to be the God of my life. And that's what sin is all about. Okay, final thought here. Elijah's challenge to Israel was this. It's on Mount Carmel. Just before he's going to call the fire down and consume the sacrifice. And Elijah came to all the people, gathered all the people, you know, said, Ahab, get all the people, you know, meet me up at Mount Carmel. We'll put our two gods to the test. And Elijah said to the people, 
How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people, now get this, the people answered him not a word. They were put under conviction at that point. Maybe there were still Jehovah uh, uh, worshippers still in that crowd of people. But at the same time, they were offering sacrifices to Baal. Why? Because Baal's the god of prosperity, right? So they think, well, if I worship Baal too at the same time, he's going to prosper me. A lot of good that did them during the three years of drought. So they were saying, in effect, you know, I'm going to do it both ways. I'm going to worship Jehovah and I'm going to worship Baal too at the same time. And, you know, Elijah's word to them is, How long will you falter between those two opinions? And so he's saying to you in your life, if you're not serving God, wholeheartedly, you're serving the spirit of the world, which is really, you know, the more I thought about this when I was preparing it, the spirit of the world is the spirit of Baal. So, that's what God is saying to us. You know, if, for if in our sin, willful sins, we are serving Baal. We are doing the same thing that the children of Israel did. <clears throat> uh, when they were, uh, we were saving, serving Baal, the same as the children of Israel. And also in our modern day American society, again, I'm going to get into this more next week. <clears throat> we are effectively shoving God out of our life. If you're worshiping this God of prosperity, you're worshiping that spirit of Baal. So, who will we obey and follow? Will we obey God or the spirit of Baal? The choice is ours. That's what this life is all about. Whether you're going to serve the spirit of Baal and worship your, in effect yourself or you're going to worship God. You're going to follow Jesus. So let's not be like the children of Israel in this matter by remaining silent. And let's take our stand for God. Okay. Closing song. It's up there. Uh, um, Susie, it's a song that may be unfamiliar to you. I've played it a few times in our worship service. But it's uh, entitled, Adam, Where Are You? And it goes back to the time of Adam. Talks about his sin and the repercussions that have been upon this uh, human race. And it brings you all the way up to the present. And in my opinion, this song describes the human condition. I love that song, brothers and sisters. You know, when God called out to Adam there in the garden, and said, where are you? Do you think that God knew where Adam was? He knew exactly where he was. So that the call there was not so God would find him. He was asking Adam... Where are you in your relationship with me today? And that's his word to each of us too. I love that line in that last verse where it says, Rushing helter-skelter to destruction with their fingers 
in their ears. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about this God who loves me. I want to be free to live my life and engage whatever sin I want. So he's asking that to us today too. Where are you in your relationship with God? Adam in that song is not just a man that lived in the garden so many years ago. He's referring to each of us and us as a nation too. That's what God wants to know. And where are you in your relationship with God? Only you can tell me. Hallelujah. It took a long time here. Sorry, brothers and sisters. We'll talk more about this subject uh, next week. Okay, so let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Lord, that's the question you're asking each of us, Lord, is where are we in our relationship with you? And Lord, uh, just as you loved Adam, Lord, so you love each of us. And so, Lord, help us not to spurn that love. Help us to reach out to you with that same love and instead spurn our own self-love and the love that we may have for our various sins. Help us, Lord God, to live in victory, Lord, and live lives of holiness as you have directed us to do. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us through this message. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.